All right, you guys can open up your Bibles to Exodus chapter 32. Exodus chapter 32, we are working our way through the book of Exodus, and we're going to end today with a baptism. We got a baptism of two people, at least two people who have signed up. We may have more spontaneous ones. Some of you guys who have trusted in Jesus and have not yet been baptized, you can get baptized today. It's not too late. While we sing the last couple songs at the end of service, you can come talk to me on the front row here and say, hey, I want to get baptized. I'll make sure you understand what it means. We'll get you in that tub. We got t-shirts, extra t-shirts that you can put on. I uh, don't have extra shorts, but you can jump in with your pants. You can drive home with wet pants. Jesus is worth it. Jesus is worth it, right? Um, uh, because of the baptisms, I'm going to have a slightly shorter message, and it's going to tie in, even though it's with uh, the book of Exodus, it's going to tie in with baptism, because everything ties in with baptism. Everything ties in with baptism. Everything about the book of Exodus so far has been meant to foreshadow a, a reality that you and I experience in a greater way through Jesus. So whatever the Israelites have experienced by God, whatever blessing they got by God, uh, we get to experience in a greater way, a more ultimate way, because of our faith in Jesus. Amen? So we saw that God initiated and came after the Israelites while they were slaves in Egypt. They didn't earn it. They weren't showing themselves to be very special, and yet God, in his grace, initiated and went after them, just like he initiates and goes after us. Those of you who have trusted in Jesus, it wasn't because you were special and God was like, oh man, I need him on my team. No, God came after you in his grace, opened up your eyes, went after your heart. With the Israelites, God led them out of Egypt through plagues, through, through his mighty hand. He led them through the Red Sea. You and I get led through this Red Sea of sin and death because Jesus went down under the water. He went down into the grave, and then he came out, resurrection life, and we follow behind. That's what baptism symbolizes, right? We go down under the waters, say goodbye to my old life where I'm stuck in sin and death, and then I come out following Jesus into resurrection life. We saw how God led the Israelites through the wilderness, and, and they had moments of hardship and, and trial where they were like, yo, where's the food? Where's the water? And every time God provided for them, every time God showed himself to be faithful to them, right? We saw that? Well, you and I, we are, even though we've been rescued by Jesus, we are still being led through a bit of a wilderness, right? This broken world, still broken? A little, a little bit, just a little bit. We're still being uh, led through this wilderness, waiting for Jesus to return. But every time we face a trial and a hardship, has God not shown himself to be faithful? Has he not shown himself to be faithful to us in some way? He has. He has. And then we saw the Israelites come to Mount Sinai where God gave them the law on stone tablets. Commands. This is how I want you to live. This is, this is the, the life of flourishing and fulfillment that I want for you. They didn't know they were slaves in Egypt for 400 years. They didn't know how to behave and live. They didn't know what was right or wrong. God was like, in his grace, he was like, this is how to live. This is how to, 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 to treat each other. You and I, we get the law in a greater way, not on stone tablets, but on our hearts, written by the Holy Spirit who comes to live inside of us when we trust in Jesus, who changes our desires. He changes our desires. The things we used to like to do that weren't good for us, he changes them so they're like, I don't even want to do that anymore. And stuff that we used to maybe get bored by, like, like, like reading the Bible, all of a sudden he's like in us and he's showing us things in God's word that we're like, whoa, holy cow. It's coming alive for us because of the Holy Spirit in us. And then we saw God promise, or, or, or I'm sorry, give instructions to Moses about how to build this tabernacle, this space where he could come dwell with his people. 
through the priests who would intercede, who would be mediators between God's presence and the rest of Israel. And all of that foreshadowed and pointed to you and I who get to come into God's presence because Jesus came as our ultimate high priest. Not with the blood of lambs and goats, but with his own blood made a way for us despite our sin to be present with God, to be in God's presence. And the rest of the book of Exodus is about God's presence. It's about God wanting to dwell with you and I, and it's about our hearts that are so quick to forget, so quick to get distracted, so quick to think that, you know what, even though God was faithful in the past, I don't know if I can trust him moving forward. And what we're going to see today is the people of Israel, they made a golden calf to worship. Because even though their souls were longing for God's presence, they didn't want to wait anymore. God wasn't doing things their way according to their timetable, and so they went looking for something else. And that's what you and I do. And those of you getting baptized, or those of you who have been baptized in the last couple of years, that's going to be a great temptation for us in our spiritual journey. To think, you know what? God's not working anymore. I tried God. I tried Jesus. I trusted in him. I did the baptism thing. I went to church. I checked all the boxes, but he stopped working. I've heard it before. I've heard it many times. I don't want that for you. I don't want that for our church. So may God speak to us today. Let's just pray. Lord Jesus, speak to us. Uh, more than speak to us, move in our hearts. Anybody here who's facing uh, trial or uh, uncertainty, anybody here who's feeling like you are not moving the way they want you to move, I pray that you would protect them from the temptation to go and make a golden calf, to chase after something else, to think that something else will bring fulfillment to the longing that their souls have, which is ultimately for your presence. God, I pray that we are a church who are, if, if we've trusted in you, that we're in no matter what. We're in no matter what. I pray for those who have yet to trust in you as Savior, that they do it. Go after them. Show them how awesome you are and how much you love them. Amen. All right, so Exodus, uh, here's, the, here's, here's the title of today. The games we play. The games we play. The things we do, the things we chase after, and then we spiritualize it and make excuses for it. Play these religious games. It's actually a two-parter today and next week. We're going to be in the first eight verses today of chapter 32. So let's jump right into it. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and they said, come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. So the people are like, man, can't see Moses. We don't know what happened to him. He's taken a long time up there. Maybe he died. Maybe that fire thing that happened a few chapters ago, maybe, maybe he died in that fire thing. So we need something new. Now remember, they were in Egypt for 400 years, and Egypt had many, many gods. So this, that was kind of familiar territory for them. But like, you know what? That's not working. Let's try this god. So they go to Aaron and they're like, yo, make us new gods that we can worship, that we can follow, that we can give our allegiance to, that we can trust in. Because Moses is long in coming down. They got tired of waiting. 
You ever get tired of waiting on God? They got tired of waiting. God wasn't doing according to their timetable. He wasn't acting. He wasn't intervening. He wasn't stepping in. He wasn't showing himself. He wasn't guiding. He wasn't saying, hey, this is where we're going to go next. They're just waiting at the base of the mountain. All right, we're done. We gave it a, we gave it a little bit of time. We're done. We, we need something else. And so they say to Aaron, make us gods. Now, other versions might say, other translations of your Bible might say, a god. It's hard. The, the Hebrew word, uh, from what I heard from a commentator, it, it's similar to our word deer. The English word deer. Like, deer is the same singular or plural, right? Like, if you say, I shot a, a deer, a singular, a, a deer. I shot a few deer. It's, just, it's the same thing, right? You don't say deers, right? So it's similar, I heard, with the Hebrew. It's a little un unclear. Are they asking for multiple gods? Or are they asking for one god? Either way, they're asking for something else other than their true god. Then there's debate among scholars as to, are they asking for another god in place of Yahweh? Or are they asking for another god to represent Yahweh? Like, like the first commandment was that you shall have no other gods before me. The second commandment was don't make any graven image, images of me that you bow down to. Don't make little statues and stuff to bow down to and say that it represents me. So which of those commands are they breaking? There's debate. Either way, though, they're breaking the Ten Commandments, they're breaking God's law, they're violating that, and they're saying, I need something else that we can manage. We need something that we can control, because we don't know what's going on with God, so we need something we can handle. I need, we need a God that we can see, that we can touch, that we can uh, point to, right? We want a God that is under our control. That make sense? So here's basically what, what I think happened. This, this is kind of how I see it. Their uncertainty led to stress, right? They didn't know what was going on. So that, 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 that not knowing in their head led to stress in their heart. Like, uh-oh, uh-oh. The stress led, sent them grasping for certainty. I need something to grab onto to give me that sense of security back. And in that quest for certainty, they, it led to idolatry. It led to them wanting other gods to worship, bow down to. I think that happens to you and I. Face a situation, it's unclear, we don't know what's going on. Creates distress in us, and then we go grasping for certainty through other means. Looking to other people, looking to other things to give us certainty. So we're, we, 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 we're not sure how long we're going to be single for. We get to be 40, 45, 50, and finally we go, you know what, I need a sense of certainty, so I'm going to grab hold of that ex-boyfriend from high school who's winking at me on Facebook. Even though I know it ain't healthy, that's my source of certainty. I know he's a sure thing. He's been winking at me since Facebook came on. 2006. And I've been wait I told myself I'd wait till 2021, and now can't wait no more. All right, I'm going a little out of control. We feel uncertain about a health issue. I, I don't know what's going on. When's God going to heal me? And then we put our hope in a doctor. We put our hope in a supplement. We put our hope in a new diet plan. We put our hope in a new medication. Or we put our hope in a avoiding all medications. You know, whatever it is. Wherever we stand on that. That's my hope. That's my, my sense of uh, certainty. Guarantee. And listen, none of those things are wrong in and of themselves. It's when we elevate them. It's when we think that's going to give me uh, the feeling of security. We don't know what's going on with our country, and so we put our hope in a political candidate or a political party. If only they get in office, then things are going to feel stable for me. <laughs> oh, it's tempting sometimes. Nothing wrong with those things in and of themselves to use those things. But when we elevate them too high, you, you know, your heart, oh, I need that. I need this to happen. 
And that's what these people were, were after. That we need something. God's taking a long time, so I need something else to lead me, to show me what to do. Because we were made to worship you and I. We were made to grab hold of something, bow down to it, so to speak, gaze at it, marvel at it, celebrate it, be led by it, look to it for answers. We were made for that. Atheists worship. They might not admit it, but they worship. They look to something. Give them meaning. Give them security in an uncertain world. And that's what these people were after. How did, how did Aaron respond to them? Aaron said to them, verse 2, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters, and bring them to me. So get all the jewelry, bring it over here. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And then he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. So there's a lot here. First of all, Aaron gave in to what they wanted. He didn't stand strong. Why not? We don't know. We don't know what was going on in his heart. Maybe he was stressing about what happened to Moses. Or maybe he was just stressing about what the people might do to him if he didn't give them what they wanted. We don't know. But my guess is that somehow he felt stress in his own heart because of the uncertainty of the situation. And he was grasping for a, a feeling of certainty himself. And he listened to the majority. He went with the majority. By the way, this is kind of Evidence that the majority ain't always correct, right? Majority ain't always correct. So Aaron didn't lead, he followed. He didn't influence, he was influenced by them. He didn't protect the people spiritually from their own temptation to idolatry. No, he was just protecting himself from them. That's what he was doing. He didn't lead them to look at God. He just validated what they wanted, gave them what they wanted and what's ironic about what they made, the calf, it's a calf. So we had seen, this is going back, I think, to March, but we had seen when we were talking about the plagues in Egypt, one of the plagues was on the cattle of, of, of the Egyptians. All the, all the livestock was, was killed because the livestock was their wealth. It was, their, it was like if uh, the stock market crashed for us. God killed it all to say, hey, your hope, your, your security isn't in cows it's in me i'm the true god but they also the egyptians had a god that they worshiped had a face of a cow and so it was another god saying that's not a real god i'm the true god and so the israelites saw this they saw god flex his arm back in egypt and now here they are with a cow with a baby you know calf going this is who led us out of egypt ain't that ironic that's a little ironic Let's continue. Verse 5. And when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. So what, what's kind of struck me was that Aaron said, so they got this golden calf, right? And Aaron says, there's going to be a festival to the Lord tomorrow, to Yahweh. So we got this idol thing that we're going to worship, and so let's throw a festival to the God of Israel tomorrow. It, it, it's almost like if we, you know, if I had an elephant, let's say a statue, and said, hey guys, we're going we're gonna to worship this elephant, and tomorrow we're going to have a worship service to Jesus. So, well, which one are we worshiping here? 
But I, what I think Aaron was doing, what I think Aaron was doing, kind of indicative of the games we play in our minds, what I think Aaron was doing was, I, don't, I think he was thinking, okay, we're not worshiping this calf in place of God. We're going to worship this calf as a way to really worship God. Like Moses is gone, he was the face for us, he was, he was the one who was leading us, telling us what God was saying, now it's the calf. The calf is the face, the calf is what we're going to bow down to, but we're really worshiping God beyond the calf. I think Aaron was mixing in pagan culture, but justifying it by saying, but we're really worshiping Yahweh. We're really, you know, it, it's okay with God, God's okay with this. Because we're really thinking about him. We're having a festival to him. But we're going to dance and, and sing around this golden calf. That make sense? And, and, and I, I think this is the game that Aaron was playing. It's kind of like, it's kind of like don't get offended, um, it's kind of like Christmas time when we get caught up in the consumerism and the materialism and the, just the people pleasing, right? Trying to buy stuff for everybody and all the hurried and harried, anxious feelings that we get. And then somebody asks us, are you ready for Christmas? I always love overhearing these conversations. Are you ready for Christmas? And the person responds, oh, I have so much to do. <laughs> and then shortly thereafter, Jesus is the reason for the season. And I'm like, don't blame Jesus. Don't blame Jesus on that. Or don't blame Jesus for this, this anxiety and the people pleasing and the consumerism. Don't blame him for that. It ain't his fault. But that's what we do. We take pagan culture, right? All that stuff, and we mix it. And then we say, oh, this is really for Jesus. I'm doing all this for Jesus. I think that's what Aaron was doing. Mixing it up a little bit. Oh, God, God's okay with this. Yeah, he's really about the Lord. See, most of us Christians, and those of you getting baptized, I think you need to hear this, or those of you who uh, have been baptized, raise your hand if you've been baptized in the last couple years. Okay, good amount of you guys. So hear this, hear this, will you? Hear this. I mean, it's for everybody, but most Christians, uh, I, I think, are not in danger of worshiping something instead of God, not in our culture, at least, not right now, not yet. We are in danger of worshiping something in combination with God, mixing it. Ah, uh, that's cool. It's cool. God's okay with it. This will be a great temptation for you guys, especially you young folks throughout your life. Talking about Jesus, saying the right thing, singing the songs, maybe even going to church, while at the same time putting your hope in and chasing after something else. Needing to get married, needing to have a boyfriend or a girlfriend all the time, uh, your career, your business, your money. Something else. Dancing around some other golden calf and saying, oh, this is for God. This is for God. We think that if we give the credit to God for the blessings we have, that it's okay for us to be obsessed with those blessings. Right? I'm thanking God for those, so it's okay that I'm obsessed with this constantly. A couple examples, perhaps, might help. Um, I was talking to somebody recently who reminded me of something I had said to them two years ago. What, 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 uh, uh, so two years ago, they had attempted suicide, and I was visiting them in the hospital, and um, I was trying to find out what was going on in their heart. And, and they, in that conversation, they had said that they really wanted to be married and have a family, and because God wasn't giving them giving them this, this, this desire uh, that they felt like life wasn't worth living for. Now, those are good desires to have. Um, and, I, you know, I'm not the very 
the most empathetic person. So, you know, I said, oh, those, you know, it must be really hard and such and such. I, I, I mean, my response was like, it sounds like those things are an idol for you. If, it's not, if your life is not worth living without those things, that sounds like an idol that you need to repent of. But recently I was talking to them and they were kind of like, you know, when you said that two years ago, I don't think that was an idol. Those are just desires in my heart. And I clarified again, they're good desires to have. I'm not, I'm not shaming you for having those desires. It's just that if you're saying that life is not worth living without those desires, you, they've been elevated too high. They've been elevated higher than God. And it gets dangerous because there's no guarantee. There's no certainty. Even if you get this marriage, things can still go bad. I get an amen from half of you guys. <laughs> <laughs> We idolize political candidates as if they're the hope. And we say, here's how we justify it. Here's the games we play. Well, they're Christians. Or they're pushing a policy that God would want. And so it's okay for me to get obsessed with them and get so heated and angry at anybody who's not voting for them because they're God's candidate. Or maybe they're not really a Christian, but they quoted a Bible verse a couple times. Right? Again, vote, you know, make the wisest choices you can, but when you get it, this is the answer. We put our hope in that, then it gets dangerous. Then it gets dangerous. And we can tell when we've put our hope into something, a couple, couple indicators. Um, number one, when God is, is long in coming down from the mountain, when he's, on, when he's long in answering that prayer, when he's long in giving you what you want, what comes out of your heart? Is it anger, bitterness, cynicism, discord? depression and anxiety. Usually an indicator that, okay, okay, now, now I'm grasping for something else. How about when those other good things, those blessings or those, those other good things in life, um, when they're threatened or when they're taken away? Because they are going to be threatened because nothing's a guarantee in this world, right? When they're threatened or when they're taken away, what comes out of you? How do you react? How do you react towards others? How do you react towards God? Does it affect your ability to love God, worship him, trust in him, and love others? Right? Jesus said the two greatest commandments. If it hinders your ability and your power to love God and love others, it has become an idol. It has become too important. That's a question we ask in our house when we're all acting crazy. What's become too important? Why do you act like that? What's become too important? And that goes for me and Jess, too. That goes for me and Jess, too. So those are two indicators. Uh, we, we do this with our, with our, with our health or, or our bodies and our image, right? We, we go to the gym and, and we, you know, obsess over the gym or obsess over, over uh, you know, what we're putting in our bodies. Or, and um, and we, we justify it by saying, you know, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, they, they, it is. That's true. Be faithful with it. But there's a line that you can cross and then... You don't admit that you've crossed that line because you continue to play religious games. We do it with our kids. Can I give one more example? We do it with our kids. We obsess over making sure our kids are always happy. At the expense sometimes of our marriages, at the expense sometimes of being involved in church community, at the expense of being engaged in God's mission, and we justify it by saying, well, my family's my number one ministry. Heard that a lot. It's the games we play. We hold our kids up as golden calves and dance around them to make sure they're happy. This is really for you, God. 
really for you. You would want me to make sure that they're always happy. We don't consciously say it, but that's what's driving us. The games we play. The games we play are many. So let's see how this passage ends. The Lord said to Moses, go down for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have turned aside quickly out of the way I've commanded them. Remember that phrase. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. So God, up on the mountain with Moses, and says, <laughs> what did he say? Verse 7, uh, your people, whom you brought up out of Egypt. So they're not God's people anymore. Before there was always God's people, now it's like, yo, Moses, those people of yours, you brought them out, they're doing some wacky stuff down there. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. So quick to turn away, are they? So quick to forget are those people that they've gone and made a calf to dance around. So quickly are they, so we're going to end. I want to end with that phrase, because that's a phrase, I don't want that to be true of us. They have turned aside quickly. In times of uncertainty, I don't want us as a church community to be quick to turn away. Times are uncertain. Your life is uncertain. Your relationships are uncertain. What's going on in your family is uncertain. Your finances are uncertain. Your health, everything's uncertain in this life. Don't be quick to turn away. When you're feeling the stress of it, when you're feeling the pressure of it, don't be quick to turn away and go, ah, oh, I need to find certainty somewhere else. I need to find security somewhere else. Don't be quick to turn away. I want to walk us through a few reflection questions. I'm going to call a band up here. Just for two minutes, just a couple, four questions for us to just reflect on as we end. As we prepare to close and sing. And so the first question is, what uncertainty are you facing right now? Just think about that. Think about that. What uncertainty are you facing? Like, we all got different ones. We're all facing some kind, but what's, what's, what's yours? What's the uncertainties that you're facing? What areas of life? Just think about it. Identify it in your head, in your heart. I don't know what's going to happen with. I don't know what I should do about. Fill in the blank. Number two, what are you tempted to look to as a golden calf in order to restore control and certainty? Maybe, by God's grace, it's nothing. But maybe there's something. Maybe there's a person. Maybe there's a purchase. What are you obsessing over? What are you afraid of losing?
Number three, will you repent? You know, repent, repent doesn't mean clean up your behavior. Repent means change what you're trusting in. Do a 180 from what you're, I was trusting in this as my source of certainty, but I'm not going to anymore. I'm going to look to you, God, as my source. Even if it feels like you are long in coming down from the mountain, I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to wait. I was looking to this group at school to make me feel like I belonged and like I was somebody, but no, I'm not going to look to those kids anymore. Jesus, you're the one I'm going to look to now. And then lastly, are you in to follow? And this is for those of you who have trusted in Jesus. Are you in to follow Jesus no matter what uncertainty comes your way? Ask yourself that. Are you? Am I? Until Christ returns, you're going to face one uncertainty after another. Are you in no matter what? And I'm not saying you decide today that you're going to walk this out perfectly. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying make today a day that you look back on and go, you know what? It was the chaos of 2021, the chaos of what was going on. I decided I'm in Jesus no matter what. And I stumbled forward, and I fell at times, and I got distracted at times, but I kept coming back to that declaration I made. I'm in, Jesus. No matter how long it takes for you on that mountain, no matter how long that, 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 that prayer takes, no matter how long I'm waiting for the desires of my heart, I'm submitting it all to you because you're God, and you're the God who came after me, and you're the God who opened my eyes to how much you love me, and you're the God who stepped into flesh for me, and then that flesh got on a cross for me, and that flesh bled for me, and that flesh paid for my sins so that I could come into God's presence, so that I could have your spirit in me, so I could be with you forever, so that I could reign and rule with you on a new earth in a resurrection body one day. I'm in with you, Jesus, because you're the only thing that's certain. You're the only thing that there's a guarantee of. So if you're willing to answer yes to this question, would you stand up? I just want to pray for you. And this is not meant for those of you who aren't followers of Jesus or you're like, I don't know about this one. Don't feel pressure. I'm not trying to manipulate anything. I don't expect everybody to stand. But for those of you who are, I'll pray for you guys. Lord Jesus, you see these men and women who are saying, ah, I want, I want to cling to you wholeheartedly no matter what. I want to be in for you no matter what. I don't want to be one of those people who end up saying, ah, God's not working. I tried that. Now I'm going to try something else. Thank you for these men and women. Lord, protect them from those temptations. Protect them from the lies and, and, and that get in our heads that you're not good or that we need to take matters into our own, hand, own hands. We need to look to something else in this world for certainty and security. Protect them from that temptation, Jesus. Give them the grace to resist 
those lies. Give them the power by your spirit to stand and persevere through all of life's uncertainties, even the ones they're facing right now. Give them the grace to declare all hail King Jesus. No matter what. All hail King Jesus, Lord of heaven and earth. Let's sing. <laughs>